Hi, this is Monica Olivas. I love running, eating, and sharing the best tips and strategies to help you run your best life. It's time to get inspired, do the work, and be brave so you can chase down your goals. Welcome to the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast. I hope you're feeling fast today because we're talking about fast girls. But this time, fast girls isn't referring to your running group. It's a new book that explores the gripping history of the first female runners on the U.S. Olympic team and their journeys to the 1936 Summer Games in Berlin. I'm listening to Fast Girls right now, and I'm very excited to talk with author Elise Hooper in the main event. So let's get started with the warm-up. Actually, at least for now, I think instead of warm-up, I should say, let's get ready to run. Or maybe in like the boxing announcer style, like, let's get ready to run a ball. Because it doesn't need to get any warmer. It is hot here. I'm in Southern California. We are in the midst of a heat wave where there are just, we're going on days now of 100 degree temperatures. And it's also humid, at least for here, which it normally is a dry heat. And I am like hesitating to talk about this because I've just immediately become a stereotype of SoCal when I talk about the weather and the heat and humidity. Yeah, I just born and raised in SoCal. It is who it is. I'm self-accepting, but like I don't mind the heat. I actually would prefer it to be hot than cold 100% of the time. But the humidity, like, I just, it's rough. It is so rough. And that much more so when you were trying to run in it, because the whole thing with sweat is it's supposed to help cool off your body. And when it's humid, the sweat just like stays on your clothes on your person, it feels like it's weighing you down. Like you have a blanket of water that you are now also carrying. And yeah, it's some hard stuff. My normal hacks for running in the heat, some of them are specific to where I am. So I try to beat the heat by running early in the morning, or if you are kind of a later in the day runner, you can do it in the evening. Because without humidity, it cools off there. It is cool mornings, cool evenings. It'll be so hot during the day, but cooler in those like kind of bumper times. And it's just not happening this morning. I mean, it must have been close to 80 degrees at before 7 a.m., which again is crazy for this area. And that's not the only scary thing going on. I I need to tell you this because it makes me feel better. I feel like when something embarrassing happens and you tell a friend about it, it kind of relieves some of the burden of embarrassment. But this morning I was running and I was going to do, I was shooting for eight miles and I ran, I ended up only doing seven and a half, which it is what it is because I was going along and I almost had a run-in with a huge spider. And I will admit that I am a baby about spiders, but I would also like to go on the record and get credit for the fact that these are big spiders. Like this was a very large spider. And this time of year in this area, there are a lot of large spiders. It's like this one particular spider that just, they're everywhere. I see dozens every time I just like run a small loop around here. And I'm saying dozens instead of hundreds because I'm not like seeking them out to look at them, but I could probably see hundreds if I was trying to pay attention, which I probably should more because as I was running, I almost ran into a spider. Like I suddenly realized that I was, I don't even know how I saw it, but it was like right, right in front of me. And I had to like slam on the brake like that. 
which is kind of funny because I don't think I was like running that fast, but maybe I was. But with the momentum and object in motion, it was hard for my momentous. Shout out to Honey Boo Boo. It was hard for me to stop, but there was a huge spider. I, I don't know if it was like coming down from its web or what. And I wasn't the first one. This was towards the end of my run. So at this point, I know several people have already walked this area and they were supposed to be the spider catcher. You never want to be the first, first person to run on a path or a trail because then you're the spider catcher. That should not have been the situation. This spider decided to just go take a walk. And it almost walked onto my freaking shirt. Like it was right, right in front of me. And I did this weird like karate chop dance ninja seizure combination, which is always embarrassing. And then even after that, I wasn't sure that it wasn't on me. And that's because I have in the past, and I have like familiar with the spider. There used to be, again, these are massive, massive spiders. I was taking a walk a couple years ago. And if you have long hair, like sometimes, you know, a hair will just be on the back of your arm or, you know, your leg or something. And sometimes it feels like it's a bug or something. So you go to see what it is. It's a hair. Like I leave a trail of hair everywhere. It is a danger and you need to be warned. If you're inviting me over and you don't want anyone to know, they will find out because my hair will be everywhere. But I was taking a walk. It was later. And I felt like a hair or something. I think I was wearing shorts. I felt it on my leg. So I like go to brush it off. I went to like grab it off. I thought I got it, but whatever, kept walking. And then I felt it again. Sometimes you don't get it. Sometimes there's more than one, right? So I went to go again. And like, you're not really almost even dusting it off. If you think it's a hair, like you go to grab it. Cause it's just like, for whatever reason, sticking to you. I went to grab it, whatever. Thought I got it. Kept walking. And then I felt it again. I was like, what the heck? So I go to grab it again. And this time what I have in my hand is a, some sort of furry creature in the palm of my hand, which I immediately throw down. I swear in that moment, it could have been a small, like a mouse or something. It was, it was, it must've been, it could only have been a spider, but I, and now in hindsight, I'm kind of apologetic about telling you this story. If you are running in the evening, anywhere that is spidery, but maybe you'll turn into Spider-Man or Spider-Woman if something like this happens to you. But I swear that suddenly in the palm of my hand, there is this creature that I throw to the ground and I just like start running to get away as if it's going to, I don't even know. It was just the adrenaline and it was traumatic. And there were this same spider was all over the place by my old condo, which isn't too far from where I am now. They would make these massive webs just right outside of people's homes. Like it would be from the bush to like your roof and just like massive. And they would come out in like the evening and just hang out. And again, super scary. And I think it took me, I I will never know, actually. I suspect that a spider like this bit me. If not that, it was a wasp, but it was be- it was definitely not just, I thought it was a bee at the time. I remember this so well because for a couple of reasons. I was on a long run. This was four years ago. Let's all get in our little time machine and go back to four years ago, a happier time when the Olympics were actually happening and we could travel. It was a beautiful, beautiful world. So I was invited to go watch the gymnastics trials, the U.S. women's gymnastics trials. They were in San Jose, which is like, maybe that's considered Central California, Northern-ish, somewhere around there. More North, 
It's not central. This is besides the, this is not vital to the story. I will look at a map later. The important thing is that I was doing my long run because I was going to be out of town for these events. And as I was running, I felt something like poke my butt. And I was like, ah, and I kind of like remember like when to go dust it off. I thought, yeah, like I thought a bee stung me or something. It wasn't major. Like it was like a small, a small little prick. We're going to keep rolling with the story. I'm not going to stop and make funny comments. Um, so I am like, oh, okay, whatever. Finish my run, take a shower, get ready to go. And where I was stung or bit, whatever it is, is starting to swell up and get red and is getting bigger and redder and like hot almost as time goes by. And I am like, what the heck am I even supposed to do? And I think when I got there to San Jose, like I realized it was getting bigger and bigger. I went like checked into the hotel. I don't remember there being any events that night. So I went walking to look for a place to a store to get some something. I I knew I needed something. I think I talked to my mom on the phone and she was like, get some Benadryl, like get some something that will help with like your reaction to this. So I get Benadryl and I'm living my life. This is getting worse. The next day it's worse. And so I think I like went searching for other options. I took a picture of it somehow. And I sent a picture of this very swollen bug, bite, sting, something, something attacked me on my butt to my mom, which is super out of character for me. Like growing up dancing, I was very funny. We would have these costume changes and your mom would be in the back and like help you. I was in this like performing belly folklorico group and you would go do your performance and then you would run back and there would be a special area. You would have to get the other costume ready and they were very elaborate costumes. Then I would always like cover up like, mom, don't look at me. I'm like in third grade. Um, So this isn't like a normal thing that I send my mother pictures of like weird stuff or anything about my body. I sent her a picture of my butt to show her this bug bite because I was like, something's up here. My mom is a very suck it up buttercup kind of mom. She is not going to baby me. She's not like, oh, the sky is falling. If I think something is wrong with me, she's like, do we have to call 911? And most of the time I say no. And then she's like, okay, well, walk it off. She's very much walk it off. She sees the picture that I sent her and she goes, you should go to the doctor. Never in my life, never in my life once has my mother told me you should go to the doctor about anything. That's just, that's how bad it was. And I don't know if it was this type of spider that bit me. What is it spider? I, why do we say spider bite, but like bee sting? I'm sure there's some scientific explanation for that. You know, along with, I'm going to make a couple notes right now, look up on a map, how to reference where San Jose is, and also why we say spider bite versus bee sting. Okay. I'm actually looking it up right now, the San Jose thing, because this is going to bug me. Um, The moral of the story is I almost ran into, it's too close to call. If we were going to make cut California right in half. I feel like it's fairly close to it, but most of the stuff is towards the bottom. I'm going to talk with a mapologist later and figure out the specifics and report back next time. Or you can let me know if you are an expert on such things. Okay, let's move on to some resources and updates. One, there's a new video up on runitrepeat.com. And also on YouTube, it's on IGTV, however you like to consume info besides podcasts, it's a video specifically talking about the different ways for runners to carry water. Obviously, there's the handheld water bottle, 
there is a hydration belt or there's a hydration vest or backpack, there are pros and cons to each. They're also very widely in how much they cost and all the different types and how much they can hold. I made a video. It's fairly short. I think it's like five minutes just talking, speaking to the pros and cons of each of them. So you can check that out and let me know if you have any follow-up questions. I also have a good food find. I found this light bread at Costco, very large and in charge on the bread. It says keto friendly. And I assumed as because of tons of past research, oftentimes these like lighter versions of bread, the keto-friendly, paleo, gluten-free, whatever you want to call it, are just not great. And I don't know what compelled me to give this one a try, but it's good. And that is news. That is significant. That is a reference from someone who was gluten-free for probably over a year, like, and legit, not just like I avoided it, but I acted like as if I was allergic to it because of my thyroid. That's something we can talk about another time. But I've tried so many different products. And this one is good. I think mostly, it's kind of, it's a little misleading, because of the fact that it's, it says very loud and proud keto friendly. And I don't necessarily think that that is the key takeaway for it eliminates a lot of people. I am not looking to maintain some sort of state of ketosis. I am not following any sort of keto protocol. So that's why I ignored it. I don't know what compelled me to look at the nutrition label. And I was like, oh, okay. So it's not gluten-free, which means the texture is potentially still good. And it's low calorie, high fiber. I dig it. I dig it. So I tried it and yeah, I am a fan. And I will put links in the show notes to the video. And also the bread thoughts are on Instagram at run, eat, repeat. So make sure that you're following me there and chime in if you've tried it or if you have any other recommendations that you swear by. And finally, the Q&A is coming back. I have really personally been loving podcasts that answer listener questions. So if you have a question, I, I do these often in the Instagram story box. But I also realize that if you are listening to a podcast and potentially multitasking, it's not the most convenient thing to stop and go to Instagram stories and answer, ask a question there. You can, you are more than welcome to, but if you want the question answered specifically on the show, you can call the voicemail line or email me. The voicemail line number is 562-888-1644. Call that number, leave your question on the voicemail. It is a line just dedicated for that. So you, uh, you can call anytime. And, or you can email run, eat, repeat at gmail.com and put podcast question in the subject line. And so if you have a question while you're running, I say, it's fine to, I say, okay, I say, so this is cool. I just vote. It doesn't like, I know personally, I will forget. I have the most genius ideas sometimes, or something that I don't want to forget while running that's probably more often. Just a little reminder for myself. And I will stop and put it in Google Keep as a note to myself. Or actually, that's the way I do it most often. But if you don't use that, potentially just stopping to call the voicemail or email before you forget might be a good idea. And again, all this stuff will be on runeatrepeat.com. So now let's get to the main event. In Fast Girls, author Elise Hooper explores the gripping history of members of the first integrated women's Olympic team and their journeys to the 1936 Summer Games in Berlin, Germany. This inspiring story is based on the real lives of three little-known trailblazing female Olympians, and it's a great way to capture the stories of these amazing women that, before this book, I had not heard of, and it's a shame that so many of us aren't familiar with them. 
I'm listening to it on Audible right now. And before this, I hadn't really read or listened to books in the genre of what is considered historical fiction. And even though the term seems very self-explanatory, I asked Elise about it. I'm genuinely curious. So far, I'm very intrigued by both, of course, the story, but the concept. So I think it's a very interesting way to learn about historical events. I'll put links to everything we talk about in the show notes on runeatrepeat.com. Now let's talk to Elise. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. I am really excited and I just want to jump right into it. I haven't, full disclosure, I haven't finished the book yet. I'm listening to it, which I am really excited because I feel like a lot of books, when they're first released, it takes additional time for them to come out on audio. But this is out, available. I love it. And I'm really excited because I, I also like the narrator. You know, sometimes like that can make a difference. So I'm enjoying it. And I am completely new to historical fiction, this genre. Okay. So can you start off by just telling me basically like what is the genre of um, this book and kind of what got you into writing this style? Sure. Well, so historical fiction can be defined in in really a lot of different ways, but but really sort of as a general term, historical fiction is fiction, meaning sort of a made-up world. And in the historical case, it's sort of based on like real people, real events, you know, kind of taking that setting. I think there's a technical term to like historical fiction needs to be set sort of before like 1970 something. I don't know if that's still the case, but typically like, you know, at some point, obviously like the eighties and nineties will be considered history, but I don't know. Um, last I had heard it was kind of in the seventies. And then I write what I consider, or at least my first three books have been what's called biographical fiction, which is actually taking like a real person and kind of fictionalizing their life a little bit. And and this works obviously best for someone who there are kind of gaps in the historical record. So you kind of have to figure things out, use your imagination, you know, based on carefully, responsibly researching, like either that person's life as best you can, or what their life would have been like based on sort of, you know, peripheral people. And, and really the best example I can give to people of this is sort of the person who set the the gold bar in this, or the gold standard in this case, is really Lin Manuel Miranda with Hamilton, right? His musical is biographical historical fiction, right? It's based on the real person of Hamilton, but he has like really sort of crafted a story. I mean, was there really a love triangle with Hamilton and his sister-in-law and his wife? No, not really. But, you know, he makes this kind of, you know, really compelling story by, you know, dialing up some things, maybe dialing a few things back. And, and, you know, I think often when those of us who write historical fiction, we tend to include an afterword in our books that, that may kind of explain to readers where we took some liberties and where we really stuck to the facts and all that. So I, in my books, definitely always include that. And I, I really love writing my afterward to both kind of give a sense of what's happened to these historical figures, like since, you know, whenever my book ends or, you know, just where I did compa- uh, usually it'll be sort of like compressing time or creating composite characters, meaning one character based on several people, all of that kind of thing. And these were all changes, especially writing fast girls, which is, about, you know, three main characters. I did have to take some, um, I did have to move some things around time-wise and um, create some characters to kind of get that flow and that braiding of these three stories together. And again, in my author's note, I kind of explain what I did and where I did it. Yeah. I almost feel like it should be a different word from fiction because oftentimes with the word fiction, we think like this is made up and it's like somewhere in between, you know, um, where they show a movie and it says based on a true story kind of thing. Right, right. Because it does make so much sense that oftentimes, and this is how information was passed down through stories, right? And this is how we remember something. This is how we learn it. The association with like Hamilton makes so much sense. We can't necessarily quote these people, but this is how you're kind of 
learning. It's a more fun way to learn. Like I would never listen to a history textbook while running, but I would definitely (laughs) listen to this. You know, this is like awesome. And it makes you, I love when something is based on a true story in a movie. And it's like, I really like this idea of being able to learn some of some of this history, right? These ideas and these concepts that I feel like I didn't learn, know a lot about, for example, the Olympics and like the Olympics with Hitler, these things, I didn't learn this in school. So I think that it's so interesting. And the way that it's told makes you want to, makes you curious, makes you want to learn more and and kind of figure out these key players. So I thought that this was very interesting. Did you already have like a knowledge base of either the the Olympics in this time period or these athletes? Like where did you kind of start with your research on it? Ooh, you brought up so many good things. So first of all, I can, I'll just say that as a writer of historical fiction, the best compliment I can get from a reader is like, oh my gosh, I had fun reading this and I learned a lot. I love that. And I'm a former high school history and English teacher. So of course I love that even more because I do love trying to be sneaky and like have some learning happen, right? In these books. So thank you for that. As far as what my background was like in this subject, So my first two novels were about women artists. Like I consider kind of what draws my interest sort of untold women's stories, right? And surprise, there are tons of them because women's lives historically have not been very well documented. But it's funny. I have played sports my entire life. I've been a runner. I've run several marathons. You know, I've just done all this stuff all of ever since I was a little kid, I like dreamed of being an Olympic figure skater when I figure skated as a child. So I've always loved the Olympics. And then a few years ago, my younger daughter, who was in fourth grade at the time, was working on a biography project for her library class. And my daughter's a swimmer and she had chosen Gertrude Ederle for this project. Now, Gertrude Ederle was someone I'd never heard of. Turns out she was an Olympic swimmer. She won three medals in the Paris Olympics of 1924. And, you know, for most of us, we'd be done. Three Olympic medals, like, woohoo, game over. But she decided she was going to become the first woman to swim the English Channel. And she did it. It took her two tries. She returned home to Manhattan as a, as a celebrity. I mean, as a really big deal. There was a ticker tape parade for her and everything. President Wilson called her America's best girl. Like, she was a big deal. And yet, here I was, you know, this was, let's say it's like 2017. I had never heard of her. And it really then made me wonder about other trailblazing women athletes. And so I started digging around and running with something I like a world I understood. I've been running my whole life, as I said. So I think the first, you know, people always ask me, like, how exactly did you find these women? And I'm always like, are you looking for my like exact search history or my library Mm -hmm. book records? I don't even know because I don't even really remember, but I was digging around Mm -hmm. and reading and it was Betty Robinson who I first encountered. And I just couldn't believe the story of this young woman. 1928 is the first year that women are invited to compete in track and field in the Olympics. Um, And I'll just give a quick little background here. So also just to get at your original question, I didn't really know any of this. <laughs> I mean, I just started researching. So what I learned was that, you know, the, the first modern Olympics begin in uh, 1896 and no women were permitted to officially compete in those Olympics. In 1900, four years later, women are invited to compete in just like a handful of sports. And they were considered, and they were actually called this, like athletic, I mean, aesthetically pleasing sports, <laughs> right? <laughs> So over the years, and this was kind of like sailing, tennis, fencing, eventually archery, it was just a few sports and kind of over these early years, they kind of, some were dropped, some were added, some were dropped again, like swimming and diving are eventually added, but really they held off on track and field because it was considered pretty low class. Like who wanted to see women running? Like no one, the idea of an exhausted looking woman, it just held no appeal for people. So it really took a long time. And it kind of came under pressure of, like, there was this woman, Alice Milliot, who was a real um, progressive and wanted to see track and field, along with some other things, gymnastics, added to the official Olympic program. 
when the International Olympic Committee denied her, she actually went about creating her own Women's Olympics. And she did it in Monte Carlo. Mm-hmm. She held it a couple of years. And it was so successful that finally the IOC was like, fine, we'll let women try just a few track and field events and we'll see how it goes. And so Betty Robinson was that first class of women, like 1928, who's allowed to try this. And she's just the 16-year-old schoolgirl who is spotted one day running for the train by a teacher who also happened to coach the boys' track team. And he couldn't believe how fast she seemed. And it is literally five races later that she is in Amsterdam, 1928, running in the Olympics. I mean, it really, it's a trajectory that is so different, of course, than today's athletes, right? Who spend their whole lives training for these things. And then, you know, just to give a quick overview of Betty's life, because I mean, that's just the beginning. Like she then is preparing for these 1932 Olympics in Los Angeles and she's in a plane crash and she's actually left for dead. I mean, a guy like throws her into the back of his truck to deliver her to the morgue. And it's not until the undertaker sees her chest moving and realizes she's alive, the doctors revive her. And she's got two broken legs, a broken arm, all kinds of injuries And the doctors tell her, like, you'll never run again. You'll be lucky to ever walk again. But Betty was a woman who did not take no for an answer. And so just her story alone is so amazing. I mean, she really has the greatest comeback story in like American track and field history, I think. And I had never heard of her because she will come back and she'll make an appearance in Hitler's 1936 Olympics in Berlin. She'll be on the American team again. And I mean, how is it honestly that we haven't heard of her, right? It's amazing. And then she's just one of the three women. The other two have pretty amazing obstacles that they have to overcome as well. So this book, really, what did I know? I guess I really knew only about the 1936 Olympics from Unbroken, the book about Louis Zamperini. And, you know, I'm in Seattle, so I'm well-versed. I've read Boys in the Boat. And that was sort of my other path into these Olympics. But otherwise, I was doing, like, I was being introduced to this whole world of early women athletes. And, you know, there are three different Olympics in this novel that I cover. It starts with 1928 in Berlin, I mean, in, in Amsterdam. Then I had to learn about 1932 in Los Angeles, which is also a pretty, that's an Olympics that really changes Olympic history because it has to innovate a bit to stay relevant with the Great Depression happening and to be able to sort of pull off those Olympics. And then, of course, 1936 is the big headlining historical Olympics that everyone is so interested in because it's really the perfect stage for so much political, social athletic tension, everything is in these 1936 games. And and I had to learn so much about those. And it's just, it's fascinating. It's sort of the perfect arena on which to set a story about sports. Yeah, it is. Like if it wasn't true, like someone would be like, yeah, this is hard to believe, you know, (laughs) you survived a plane crash, you know, know. and and kept running. You know, the craziest parts of this book, I say this all the time, the craziest parts are the truest. (laughs) I mean, really, and that is true. Like Helen Stevens and her size 12 feet and her nine foot long stride. You're absolutely right. I think if I had made that up, Someone would be like, nah, really, what are the chances? And, and Betty's crash and, and all that Louise has to overcome. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, it is the craziest parts of the story that are the truest. <laughs> yeah. And I really love talking about the Olympics right now. I feel like there is yeah. like an Olympic size hole and like a, a lot of hearts, right? With it feeling like it was missing right now. And especially now when we could have all this time to just be watching. Like oh I, you know, I like, like, why don't they just like pretend like the last one, it was happening right now, rebroadcast. I, I mostly forgot, like I would watch it, you know, as if it was all real because it just like, that is such an inspirational time when we are following the Olympics and to read about this, I feel like it is just the perfect timing with this, need, you know, with this curiosity, with the disappointment of not having the Olympics right now. I really love it. Did you time it so that it would have ideally been released around the Olympics? I did. I was really hustling to get this book ready for this summer because I mean, how perfect was that going to be, right? To have this book coming out at the same time of these Tokyo games. I mean, trust me, I had a whole vision in my head for how this was all going to go. 
And I was, boy, I was going to ride the coattails of Olympic news. I mean, because I, I do think the Olympics kind of pop up on everyone every, you know, those two years of summer and then winter now that we're in, you know, we kind of, I think if we're not Olympic athletes, we're not really following a lot of these sports super closely. And then they kind of arrive on the scene and we all are so engrossed for yeah. these several weeks of Olympics. So yeah, I was super jazzed. I'm an Olympics super fan. Like I love it all. And so I have been very disappointed that they haven't happened. At the same time, I have been hugely gratified by like, I'm apparently not the only Olympic super nerd and super fan because so many people seem to, fortunately for me, be like able to fill this void partly by reading Fast Girls. Although I do think you're really onto something there. And I've had this conversation with so many people that like, why aren't they recap, like rebroadcasting old Olympic highlights? We would all be watching them. Yes, what else is there to do? Exactly. Like we, you know, it's just like, it's not like there's anything else to do. And it right. is so inspirational it is. you know it to, is. you're to so follow right these stories I know we need hope right now I, yes. mean, I really believe that right and so I mean that's what you know sports stories I I say to people a lot that you don't have to be an athlete to love a sports story because sports stories ultimately are like that perfect quest right of this journey these obstacles and then overcoming them and even if there's not a gold medal for your hero at the end usually there is some hugely uplifting aspect to these stories right there's some other gratifying aspect of how the athlete has has satisfied like their you know their need in some sort of way so I think they can appeal to all of us regardless if you're like a couch potato or of course if you are a sports fan like I think they they kind of check off all the boxes I think or at least I think that. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely think that too. I think we all have our own gold medal, whether it is, right. you know, a making a certain team, getting a BQ, playing for your college team, going pro, like it, it can be and, and anything in between. So these things are so inspirational. I just finished watching The Last Dance. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, the Michael Jordan. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I was like so into it. Like I have yeah. never touched a basketball in my <laughs> life, but I was just like, I thought it was so inspirational, which is like funny. I'm not, I'm not a big spectator sport person, but I will like run for hours every day. If you let me, it's still inspiring. Cause it's ultimately about someone being so dedicated, you know, and just like, so yeah. zoomed in on something that is like, this is the most important thing to me. And I'm going to do everything that I have to do. And and it's also, people are very complex, right? So it's, it's not just that this person is like this hero. When we talk about real characters that they have like trials and tribulations, and then some people are a little prickly. Like I, I love that it is so multifaceted and so that you really get into it. And I yeah. just like, I, I really appreciated that about the book, the dynamic and the conversations. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, thank you. I'm so glad. Um, I, I, I just... I feel like these women's stories, I just can't believe we don't know more about them, right? I mean, if I can play a small role in just like helping to show people like really the path that has come before us, these women who were courageous enough to really persist against a lot of things that people threw up in their way. I, I just, I think that's really important. I think it's so easy for us to join, well, maybe not at this specific juncture in time because of the pandemic, but, you know, we can join our school's teams. We can enter a 5K, a 10K. We don't really think about the fact that people used to believe that a woman's uterus would fall out if she ran quickly or that she, if she trained hard, could develop a beard or mustache. I mean, we just take kind of our ability to dress in sports clothes and, and go out there and kind of go to the gym or whatever. We, we take it so grant for, so for granted. And um, I think it's sports is such a great mirror to hold up, to show us like the progress in civil rights in so many ways. So um I, you know, clearly have been really passionate about the story. And so it's, it's just so fun to talk to readers about it because I feel so strongly that these women, their stories should be, should be spread as widely as possible. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it is so important to remember too, so that we're, we're grateful and we make sure that it continues to make advancements. Yeah. Like, I think it is crazy that 
it took so long, right? And that they there's these things that are completely not science-based of a woman's uterus falling out or, you know, growing facial hair from like, that's not science, you know, right. but just like how how long it took the that we actually can see pictures of, you know, when Catherine Switzer tried to run yeah. the Boston Marathon, like physically, yeah. you know, a man, a grown man trying to like grab her something from her shirt, her number, like that is insane that that yeah. happened, you know, and that like this person this is like, oh, you know, like he didn't want her on the course as if it's okay to grab someone physically like that. It just is insane to me that even that wasn't that long ago. And if we think of where these people, in addition to all of the athletics that it took for them, right. To do this, that they also had to overcome all of these other things is just that much more, I think, impressive and like inspirational. Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, the other thing is I really hope that readers also take away, you know, there is still progress to be made, right? I mean, yeah, things have improved, but really I've been thinking a lot about Rio in 2016 and, you know, I mean, there's still not an equal number of sports Olympic events open to women that there are for men. And I mean, we, we know that there's been all this uh, news about the women's soccer team looking for pay parity. That, that's need, exactly what I yeah, was thinking when you said that. We need coaching opportunities for women, both at the collegiate level and professionally. We need management opportunities. And the way that the media talks about athletes, there is still room for improvement, right? I mean, again, I felt like that was a big topic in Rio. And I remember a specific incident. I would, I think it was swimming when a woman re- won her event and they immediately the camera immediately went to her husband apparently who was her coach and started sort of talking about him and it was like wait a minute she's the one who just won why are we not talking about her so I think there are a lot of ways that we need to keep pushing forward because really I think the biggest shame about the Olympics not happening this summer I mean of course we're all disappointed but I really believe that this Olympics was going to be I mean we saw it in Rio women American women specifically did so well and I think they would have done so well in Tokyo that I think it would have really helped the momentum of advancing women forward in all these other ways that we need to see advancement so that, I, that it feels like a missed opportunity to me, this delay of Tokyo, because I just think that women were going to like blow the barn doors off of basically the whole place and show everyone that all the stuff about um, being paid less. And it's just ridiculous that they yeah. are just as worthy, if not more so, <laughs> given their winning record, really. <laughs> yeah. And it's so true to keep it in the conversation. I think that I personally take it for granted. So I'm surprised when I hear something, and this is kind of what happened with the women's soccer team. I saw it on a Luna bar. I, they, there was something on the Luna bar, you know, and I'm saying that they were trying to like pay match to, to fill the discrepancy. And I was like, and then I looked it up and I was like, what, how is this a thing? I just like assumed like, you know, which is so disappointing that it's not true. Like we should be able to sleep well at night thinking that everyone's getting treated equally and paid equally. right? Right. But I was really surprised by that. And it just, it does, you know, remind us that no, like it is not equal and the treatment isn't equal. The conversations, the way that people are spoken about and spoken to, it just has to still be a priority to make sure that we are keeping this you know, in top of mind. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. So are you still running or how are you staying active in this social distancing? I know, I know. Well, I am a runner. I just was running this morning. Um, I have actually been swimming laps this summer. It's where we belong to the small swim and tennis club here in, in West Seattle. And uh, it has opened for lap swimming, like just one person a lane or whatever. So I've been swimming laps, which has also then just increased my, I've been thinking a lot about Gertrude Ederly and how long it took her to swim the English channel. And I'm just like, I can, you know, barely go for 45 minutes. <laughs> Forget the hours. And I think it was 14 and a half hours. I, it's been a while since actually I've said that stat a few weeks at least. So I'm, I think it was about that. And uh, I play tennis. I'm an avid player. And so I, I almost play every day, <laughs> which my family argues is too much. I personally think there's no such thing as too much tennis. <laughs> and, you know, that's a sport. It's been really fun because you can socially distance. I mean, yes. 
Yeah. And that, so that feels like it's got the social element where I see a few people, you know, I've been playing mostly doubles all summer, which normally I'm a singles player, but maybe it's just the need to connect with people, no matter how, you know, from several feet away, that's been really satisfying and kind of helping me stay sane through all this for sure. I love it. Yeah. I actually, I have a friend that's obsessed with tennis and he's really good. So I've always been like, meh, meh about tennis. And then suddenly when I realized like he can still play tennis and I can't do any races, I'm like, so how would you teach me some tennis? <laughs> you know, know. Like, no, it is. a lot of the league stuff is, well, it's a little murky right now what's going to happen in the fall, but most up till now, like the spring and most of the summer leagues have been, there's still some summer stuff happening. I haven't been doing any official USTA league play. I've just been meeting, you know, I like to kind of play at this point with people I know just to kind of keep that little bubble as small as possible. So yeah, about four of us meet every few days to play and it's been really, really fun. Yeah. And it's grateful. I know it's really too, like one of the few times that we can be social, right? Because it's like, we're doing things less and less that it just the normal little get togethers that we would have been having all summer long potentially aren't happening. So it's like, I want to hang out with the five people that, you know, I, know. I, would, I would catch up with potentially. I know. It's pretty funny. We actually all have like camping chairs tucked into the back of our cars. And after we play, we sort of spread out our chairs in the shade and we'll like maybe crack open a bottle of, <laughs> of wine or something. And that's been, it's been just, it, I think it's been huge for my mental health. <laughs> Right. I love it. I know that is such a good idea. I love when I see pictures of people like in their, you know, in a driveway or like in the yard or something. I'm like, good for you. Yep. Making it work. Teaching us all to like project our voice to it. Right. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) Well, where can people find the book? You know, I think you can find it everywhere books are sold. Um, You know, I really support always, of course, people to shop at their independent bookstores. Um, and if they don't have a local one, there is bookshop.org, which can, um, that of course benefits, they have a pool of like, they give maybe 10% or something to in the independent bookstore fund. So I just think it's so important right now that we support these small businesses. I think, you know, everyone's really struggling and, you know, of course it's on Amazon, all the usual suspect, all the usual places. So yeah, it can be found anywhere. And then of course it is on audiobook, like you pointed out. I love Libro FM, which is a great, again, a service that benefits um, independence book, independent bookstores. And it comes in large print uh, on ebook. So really it should be anywhere books are found. <laughs> Libraries too, of course. I love it. And are you working on a new book yet or um, what's next for you? Yeah, I am. I'm actually working on, I'm working on a World War II book. So similar setting, you know, although this one's the forties, like Fast Girls is the late twenties and thirties. This is the forties and it's in the Philippines. There was a group of American nurses who were all kind of caught in the Philippines as the Imperial Japanese army invaded and took thousands of American and other what were considered kind of allied, you know, people as internees and imprisoned them in prisoner of war camps. And these nurses spent three years imprisoned and yet they all survive. And it's really just an amazing, inspiring story of kind of tenacity and hope. And um, of course, you know, nurses on the front line, that's a really important story too, I feel like right now. So I, I, I still can't believe I pulled this off, but I managed to go to the Philippines in February on a research trip, like oh, wow. right before everything <laughs> shut down. I mean, I look, I think back to it and it just feels like such a weird, almost fever dream that that happened. But um so I've been writing like a mad woman since I returned. And yeah, this book should be out, you know, hopefully sometime soon. So people can keep an eye out. I'm all over social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the usual places. And, and news will be coming about a release date for that. Perfect. We will definitely be following along and I'll put links in the show notes to all of your social media so that Thank we can connect so with you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you so much. This was really fun. And I, I'm enjoying the book. So it was a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, great. Well, I am so grateful for all of you who are doing everything you can to connect readers and, and runners and, and, and authors. It's, it's such a delight for me to talk to people. I hope you enjoyed that chat. Let me know if you've read or listened to the book and your thoughts. 
And if you have any other book recommendations, please chime in on today's Instagram post and let me know if there's a book that you think is awesome, great for listening to while running, eating, living your life, or just something that you just think is a good, fun listen. And again, that is on Instagram at run, eat, repeat. So you can chime in there. And now let's get to the awards. Today's awards are this week's food favorites from Costco. These are my top three favorite foods that I either recently discovered from Costco or just always have. First place has to go to that new keto-friendly bread. The name, again, is a turnoff unless you are keto and then obviously you would be all for it, but I think it's just a very good lower calorie bread. And yeah, it's from Costco. Boom. Second place goes to Three Bridges Egg Bites. They are very similar to the... I actually don't know how to say that. (laughs) The Egg Bites from Starbucks. And I'm not even going to try to butcher the name, but they are just like those little fluffy... They come too to an order egg bites. And there are a couple of different versions. There's an egg white one and another one that I think has meat in it. Three Bridges makes a couple of different flavors of these. I have spotted the regular ones that might have, they have bacon or ham in them. And then I have also seen the egg white version that reminds me so much of the Starbucks bites. So I'm a huge fan of those second place. Third place is such a staple. I always have this. Always, always, always. Stir fry veggies from Costco. They're in the freezer section. I swear by this. I will add this to almost any and every lunch and dinner meal. So I am a huge fan and highly recommend. Now, if you have a question, ask me. You can email or leave a voicemail. Again, the email is runeatrepeat at gmail.com. Put podcast question in the subject line, please. Or you can leave a voicemail, call 562-888-1644. You can start with your name and a general location and then ask your question because that's fun. And please subscribe to the show And if you want some good karma, put some good vibes out in the universe, please rate and review the show with five stars and kind words. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great run. Bye.